I know it's uh, rather strange. Mother's Day. Routine. I know all around the United States today, I'm confident that people are celebrating the 100th anniversary of the celebration of motherhood. And I find it quite uh, ironic and kind of a God thing that he would park us in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, which say, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, Titus. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Only God brings a sermon series to a point on Mother's Day so that a message might be proclaimed to men. But if you really stop and think about it, if you want your mother and your wife to have a, something to celebrate, be the man God made you to be. They'll celebrate all year long. Not just in May. Because the foundation of a gospel community is older men. Not younger men. Not older women. The foundation, the very bedrock of any gospel community is the older men. As they go, so will go that community. And so... It's on Mother's Day that we stop and look at this text. If not programs, then what? We've already answered this question three times in chapter 1. First, Paul calls the church to confess sound doctrine. Okay, so don't get caught up, Paul would say, on all these programs, all these methods, all these ways in which you can call people into the church. Just get your doctrine right, Titus. That's what he says in verses 1 through 4. You see it there. Paul is a servant of God and a messenger of Jesus Christ so that he might implement programs. Is that what it says? No. He's a servant of God and a messenger of Jesus Christ for the sake of the what? Faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. We don't need a program for godliness. We need faithful people who have a knowledge of the truth and then live out that knowledge. We don't need a self-help group. We need a Christian church that has sound doctrine, Paul would say. To Titus, he says, my true child in a common faith. It all so focuses around that common faith set of beliefs, that faithful doctrine which leads to godliness. Before any church has a hope of developing strong, long-lasting ministry, it has to learn to emphasize a common faith. The key to godliness is not bus programs or Sunday school programs or any other program. The key to godliness is sound doctrine, the preaching and the teaching and the living of God's Word. 
Second, we saw that the church is to install godly leadership. Sound doctrine will only survive in a church as long as it has godly leadership. When the leadership falls, the doctrine will go with it. Or we could say it the other way. If you don't have sound doctrine, your leadership will fall. They're both true. You can't have one without the other. They must be a team together. The qualifications for these leaders, it's not that they be found. uh, You can't find the qualifications for these leaders in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes magazine, Fortune 500. You can't find these qualifications in those publications. You can't look to the world and find godly leaders. No. These leaders are to exude good character, spiritual knowledge, and wisdom. These men may not be the most charismatic personalities. They may not be the best communicators. They may not be the most creative in their leadership, or they may not look as sharp as the next guy. But one thing they are is sound in their character, sure in their doctrine, and ready at all times to teach passionately what they know to be the truth of Jesus Christ. Third, the church must focus on rooting out or silencing false teachers. That's what we looked at the last two weeks. So today, it's possible for a false teacher in our churches, it's it's possible often for a false teacher to prey on the weak, on the unsuspecting, on the immature. And you say, how? Well, because we've broken and segmented our church down into so many little compartments, and we have so many teachers, there's no way to manage them all. How many churches have you been to where the leadership of the church didn't even know what was being taught in the groups that met in their name? They didn't even know. They had no gatekeeper. You could have been doing the Sunday school literature that was published by the Baptist Press or the Methodist Clearinghouse, or you could have been talking about Popular mechanics, for all they know. That's sad, isn't it? That's how false teachers get in place. That's how at Aniston Bible Church, when Bob St. John arrived 12 years ago now, there was a man who did not even believe in the deity of Christ, and yet he taught every Sunday in a Sunday school class. How does that happen? Oh, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Make your objective to have sharp, worldly leaders who are charismatic in their personality and can communicate real well but have zero depth in the Scripture, zero godliness of character, and you'll get it. You'll get it in all shapes and forms and fashions. Now, I'm proud to say that Bob, thankful to Bob for his resilience that he stood the line and he removed that man and he risked his own early career at the church because the gospel was worth it. And they've prospered now for many years following the principles of Paul, establishing godly leadership, rooting out false teachers, holding to sound doctrine. Paul warns Titus, that he is to spend his energy implementing sound doctrine, installing godly leaders, and protecting the flock from wolves in sheep clothing. 
If not programs, then what? What are we going to do with all of our time? What are we paying the preacher for? We need to answer this question a fourth time. Paul tells Titus at the beginning of chapter 2, not only all these things, Titus, but you've got to have gospel community. Don't consume yourself with worrying about building a church. Worry about and consume yourself with building gospel community. Don't worry about the latest hip way to grow a church. Up enrollment. Worry about what the people that are sitting in your pews today are doing in relation to the gospel and how are they relating to one another. Worry about that. Don't worry about all those other things, Titus. In a day when the church is focused on special interest and age and gender divisions and topical teaching and all of these other things, Grace Fellowship must decide and fight to return to a focus on true biblical community. And I say we must decide and we must fight because that's exactly what it calls for. Because trust me, when you head this direction, you'll get the gawks, you'll get the stares, you'll get the snide comments from the rest of the world, mainly the church. And they'll say, that just doesn't work. You can't do it that way. You'll get the impatient comments from people sitting with you in these pews. We're not growing fast enough. There aren't enough baptisms. There aren't enough of this and that. There aren't enough things for my kids to do. All of these. We'll hear all of this. And yet Paul would say, Titus, develop gospel community, live in gospel community, and let Christ build his church. He will build his church. He will build his church. We would be well served to implement Titus 2 community in this fellowship. By God's grace, that will happen. But it won't happen overnight. It'll take months or years. Maybe my lifetime, maybe your lifetime to have this happen. It's a total paradigm shift. It's not as simple as saying stop this and start that. It's difficult. It's heart level. It's not simple. It's not easy. It's not painless. There's a lot involved here. And so we're going to start out by looking at the bedrock of that community. If we're ever going to have a biblical community, we've got to have older men as our foundation. Let's look at the first two verses of this chapter which command that sound doctrine be taught to the gospel community. That's his first, that's his command. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. You, Titus, he says, you teach sound doctrine and the things which are fitting to that gospel. That's what you do. We must teach the church to live in a community of grace that promotes sound doctrine. That's what the first verse says. Teaching sound doctrine is only the beginning of our responsibility, not the end of our responsibility. It's not enough to come here on Sunday and for me to proclaim some truth to you. That's not enough. That's only the beginning. That has to happen, yes. But then we have to live out that doctrine which we've been taught. Verses 1 through 4 
Show us this doctrine. The sovereignty of God, His desire to save, His inability to, inability to lie, the fact that your salvation is bound up in eternity past because Jesus Christ is the Lamb. That is good doctrine. And that has to be taught. It has to be proclaimed. Verse 9 in chapter 1 says that an elder must hold to the firm, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So we see teaching is a responsibility of leadership and of those who are in this gospel community. But that's only the beginning of our responsibility, not the end. That's not the end. Sound doctrine should then be lived in a community of grace. Teach what accords with. You see that phrase? Not just you teach the sound doctrine but you teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is fitting to sound doctrine? What displays sound doctrine? Teach those things, Titus, to the gospel community. The Greek word here translates for us in one word, and it means fitting, appropriate, proper, the idea for Titus given by Paul is that we'll need to teach the that he'll need to teach the Cretan church to distinguish characteristics of sound doctrine. He'll need to distinguish it. They'll need to be able to see it in action. The things that are fitting, the things that are approved, the things that are hand in hand with sound doctrine. The community of grace distinguishes a church of sound doctrine from all other groups. A community of grace a true community distinguishes sound doctrine from all other doctrines. False doctrine, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, sits back and says, I believe, but does nothing. True doctrine says, I believe because of that belief. Now I'm in a new community. These are, these are my brothers and sisters. That world out there needs to hear of Christ. We are citizens of a new community, a new Jerusalem, a new city that is God's city. And it, it separates itself. It looks different. The issues are, are imperative to our life as Christians. These issues that I'm going to talk about in the next few weeks are imperative. They're not suggestions from Paul. I've heard it that way. Well, Paul's saying, well, if you get around to it, do these things. That's not what he's saying at all. I don't see anything in this chapter that says, when you get around to it, if the people agree and like it, if it seems to work well, I don't see any of those qualifications. Do you? I just see you, Titus, teach them the things which fit the gospel. Teach them those things. I also don't see an assumption, well, they'll just get it. They'll just understand. No, he says, teach them. Teach them, Titus. Proclaim it to them. Show it to them. Exemplify it before them. What it takes to live in gospel community. Establishing the community of grace then is not optional. It's not as if we say, well, I'm a Christian and if I get around to it, I'll live in gospel community. No, we're saved into the community. Without a community, we perish. You show me a Christian who says they can worship and live as a Christian should without a community and I'll show you someone who's on the road either to apostasy or being a heretical false teacher. 
There's no exception to that. I've never met anyone who lives outside of Christian community that is truly, truly walking according to the faith. Never. And I don't find in the New Testament there's no lone ranger Christians out there doing real good on their own. That's why the writer of Hebrews begs and pleads that we join together. Not just in a walled off building like this, but that we join together constantly and continually because without each other we fall into sin. We backslide and blaspheme the name of Christ. False teachers encourage you to go out on your own. You can make it on your own. It's false teachers who in our day are saying, well, the Internet's good enough. Just get on and watch a sermon. It's good. Give your money across the Internet. You don't have to join with any Christian folk. It's the surest way to failure in this Christian life. Peter, Peter is one of the most misquoted men in the Scripture. He did not, I challenge you, to look this up and study it yourself. He did not say that we were the priesthood of the believer. He did not say that. The Gospel doesn't see us as individuals. We're only priests as a community. It's the priesthood of the believers. Plural. It's in that statement which he said, you are a nation. You are a temple. You are a priesthood. Can you be a nation by yourself? No. Can you be a temple by yourself? Absolutely not. How then can you be a priest by yourself? That is false teaching. You're only a priest in the Word of God according to the Gospel in community. In community. We serve Christ in community. We live in community. And when we're not in community, we are headed for failure. But as for you, Titus, he says, teach that which is fitting. Teaching a group of believers to live in biblical Biblical community separated Titus from the false teachers. Do you get that? Do you see that? But as for you. You see that in the first verse. But as for you, Titus. Now, what does he mean? Well, he means that from verse 10 to 16, those men right there did not teach the things that equate to godly gospel community. They didn't teach that. He said, Titus, this will distinguish you among the people as a true servant of Jesus Christ. Teach godly gospel community it's not secondary it's the identifier of a true teacher the role of a godly pastor is found in ephesians 4 11 through 16 where not where he goes and does the ministry but where in love he trains you to do the ministry and builds you up into the one who is the head christ jesus i said earlier i hear it often from people talking not about me because you're not rude enough to come and ask me this, but I've heard others ask about me about their pastors. So why do we pay pastors anyway? Why are you what what why are we setting some men apart to this work? Because it's full time work to train not to go and do the ministry ourselves. That's not full time work. That's Christian life. If that was what a pastor was, we all ought to get paid. Why do you pay a pastor? The only reason you pay a pastor is if he's training you to do the ministry. 
Now we've got a vocation. Now we've got a calling. Now we've got a reason for this man not to go and endeavor in other things but to only give himself to prayer and fasting and the Word and training you to be a gospel community. That takes effort and life. That's why when men go from one church to the next in a matter of a few months, I say, what are they doing? They're hired guns. I'm not saying a man will never move. I'm just saying you ought not get to one place with your resume floating within six months to go somewhere else. Because it takes a lifetime to train gospel community. Is it possible that the reason our churches don't have gospel community is because their shepherds have been hirelings instead of true shepherds? I'm just going to be honest with you. It's easy for me to go out and share the gospel and clothe the naked and feed the poor and take in the orphan and do all. That's easy. If it was just me, that's easy. What's difficult is to do that in such a way that it inspires and calls you to do it. And to live in such a way that my life doesn't disqualify what I say. And that I don't just rely on my, my life, but I actually open my mouth and say what the Scripture calls us to. That's hard. That's difficult. It's easy to get up and preach a message I'm disconnected from to a group of people I don't know and who don't know me. That's no problem at all. I'll take that money and run. And that's what most pastors are doing. And i got to confess, early in my life, I thought that's what pastoring was. Early in my career, that's what I thought it was all about. I thought it was about me. I tell you what's hard, and I tell you why you give double honor to a man who gives his life to this work when he's called, is because not only does he have to live it, not only does he have to teach it, he has to train it. And if you know anything about training children, not that you are children, but if you know anything about training anything, anybody, it takes time and energy and effort. It don't happen overnight. A true teacher of the Word lives the Word, trains the Word, and brings people into gospel community. Rather than spend our energy and our resources and our, on marketing and on entertainment, we should be building godly relationships which lead to gospel community. That's what I'm to do. That's what you're to do. Secondly, in this text, we must establish the foundation of the gospel community on godly older men. And as Mark Dever says, I'm moving to a close, which if you're new with us, that means i got a ways to go. But this is the last point. A gospel community rises and falls on the wisdom of older men. It rises and falls on the wisdom that God has entrusted to us in our older men. He said, well, what's an older man? I feel young. Well, an older man in biblical times, I saw at one place that it was 50, I saw at another 60, and I think the best definition is that man which does not have children living in his home. You've now become an older man. I don't care if that's when you're 35 or if that's when you're 40 or if that's when you're 50. Probably you're going to be around 50. It's usually when people get out of the house, you know. Now, don't go home and call your 25-year-old son and tell him to move home so you won't have to live up to this, okay? Don't fall into that trap. But I'm just saying that's a general way to find an older man. And you say, well, why would you define older men by their children? Because 
until that man's children leave home, rightly his first responsibility is to his children. At the moment the Grace Fellowship takes the place of my children, the elders of this church and you as a people ought to remove me, not in punishment, but in love, and say, hey, we appreciate what you do, but you need to be home with your children. You've got young ones at home. Until my children are gone, they're primary in my life. They should be. And they should be in yours. Gospel community rises and falls on the wisdom of older men. We are dependent on your wisdom and your experience. I can't tell you the number of times I've sat in meetings. I know you've all been there. And the young people are leading the meeting. And they got great ideas. And and we're going to town. And that older man sits back there in the corner and never says anything until after the meeting. Then he comes to whoever was leading and says, well, you know, I appreciate y'all's fervor, but have you ever thought about this? His wisdom and experience brought him to that point. Now, the only thing I wish is that he would have said that in the meeting before we fooled ourselves in the thing we had these right answers. Older men have a responsibility to marshal their wisdom and experience for God's glory. Job 12.12 says, 